This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Pangarang people and the Darambol people. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded, and the modern Australian nation has never come to terms with what was done to Indigenous people in Australia following European arrival. Well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 138 Thursday, 22nd of October 2020. I'm Jeremy Siapirko, and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to our country, what's likely to happen, and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest hosts are returning guest hosts, uh, Brandon Selich. Welcome back, Brandon. Hello. Thanks for having me. And Denise. Welcome back, Denise. Hello. So, Brandon, we have, we have called you in from Queensland just before something... Well, it, sound, it sounds like not too horrific, but, I mean, there's a broad spectrum there. Is about to happen to your state? How are you as a, as a Queenslander feeling about the the, uh, the upcoming state election after, you know, the ACT and New Zealand have already demonstrated just state how things could go? Well, personally, I'm fairly ambivalent. It's going to be, I suspect, another Labor win because the only good thing about the opposition in this state is that they're ineffective. Hmm. No, they're, they're even losing the old people in uh, places like Caloundra and the Sunshine Coast. And yeah. Was just... yeah, they're losing the retired boomers. It's scary when that happens to the um, LNP. Is- Though I did see an interesting quote. There's a Guardian article about that, about how um, some of the seniors actually really appreciated the hard lockdown because they wanted to be safe. And so, you know, keep us safe from those New South Welshmen and, and things like that. I was wondering if that was. Was it, was it that we quite... Look, we like the, uh, the franking credits. We like, you know, the low taxes for us old old self-retiree... Self-funded retirees... Self-funded in quotes, uh, retirees. We like all the Liberals' economic policies, but we also like state Labor's keeping us alive from the virus policy. It, it does seem to be a little bit of that, but I did find one of the quotes was really interesting, which was that um, when you get down to it, a lot of people, it's like having a footy team. A lot of people are just going to vote who they always vote for because that's that's their team. There, There is, unfortunately, I, I, it was the same when I was living in New South Wales, and it's definitely the same in Queensland. You basically voted who your parents voted for, who their parents voted for, and so on and so forth. That hasn't really changed. I've been talking with some colleagues based in Brisbane. I'm no longer in Brisbane. I'm in Rockhampton these days. But uh, it's very much, given the lockdown and there's a lack of tourism and that sort of thing, it feels like, they've been saying that Brisbane feels like it's been going back to that kind of more conservative mindset uh, that was more prevalent during the Bjorki-Peterson years, which is just sad in a lot of ways. But well, also... Ter- terrifying. Terrifying. Like, yeah, terrifying. It's sad, but nothing terrifying is happening yet. Once that starts, well, yeah. But also, the other thing you've got to remember is Queenslanders very much only like to stay within their certain amount of suburbs. So if they don't have to go anywhere because of border closures, it's honestly not going to bother them too much. Uh, other than possibly a positive of uh, sticking it to the the people on the other side of the border. Well, there is that too, yeah. I think the, the, the sense of people voting for who their parents voted for thing, I think, is more a rural thing than a Queensland thing per se, because it's certainly something that we noticed when we were probably in, a, in more remote country than we are in Wangrad. I'm, I'm yet to... I don't quite know how Wangaratta does things yet. I guess we'll. we'll we do find have out. an independent federal member. That's true. They... Yeah, Wangaratta, which clearly suggests that they don't. They they finally turfed out Sophie Panopoulos and and brought in um, Kathy McGowan and now Helen Haynes. Yeah, because I think 
it does seem that they seem to go for people who will represent them. And I think their state members are real mix up here. So it, there is a liberal state MP. I suspect that what we'd... So Brandon, does this sound plausible? And I'm not there and I'm, I'm speculating wildly from a long way away, but it seems to me like this is just a short term because of the virus type uh, switch. And it, it's more likely to go straight back to the, the LNP for federal stuff and going forward. But it's just this specific thing of... Well, we quite like they're not killing us policy. Might might be sort of that, a one-off issue that sort of sw- flips a few seats temporarily. Uh, look, I'm hoping it's not a short-term thing. Hopefully that will play uh, in the next election. We Labor could run with, hey, Labor, we didn't kill you during the pandemic. So that- <laughs> How many years can they run with that? Look, keeping you alive. We should be rewarded with by that, at least for the term of your natural life. You know, surely you, if it wasn't for mm. us. Mm. Though there's been some great examples. Of, I'm joking. That would be ridiculous. There's been some some great, and I use the word great in quotation marks, examples of Labor trying to appeal to the country seats versus appealing to the city seats. Yeah. Like you, mean like, that, you mean like the ones oh. that the Greens were highlighting, like in Brisbane, it's like, oh, we, we care about climate change. And then in Mackay, it's, here, we built 18 new coal. Like, well, what was it, considering, considering George Christensen at the last federal election managed to just get up on the bar of the one of the bigger pubs in Mackay and say... I support Adani, you'll all get jobs. And he got voted back in the landslide. And that guy is useless. And that's the nicest thing I can say about him. Of course, the Labor Party is going to go with that sort of uh, mixed messaging and a broader scope of targeted messaging in specific electorates. Well, only so long as they can get away with that message not not travelling any further than where they're trying to run it. Yeah, like, but unfortunately, as... we, we have the incredible edible internet. Everybody knows everything. That's my point. So it's a really, mm. I, I think they're thinking that this will work ignores the fact that the Greens can run that as a campaign ad in Brisbane. I actually think yeah. that's, that's where it's going to have an impact too, where there's a few marginal seats in Brisbane that the Greens have a chance of actually taking. Running mm. away from Labour, running that as a campaign, like sure, they're pop promising you that they're going to declare a climate emergency. They're promising you renewable energy, but then they're up there promising that we'll support mining might actually have more of an impact in the city than it might rurally. It might, it might, but it is also one of those arguments that is completely stripped of nuance. You've got to support... Well, you don't have to, but the argument I would think that they're running with is you, you would have to, ideally, you have to support mining jobs in the short term while you transition those jobs to other sectors. But that's, the thing but is, they're not running that. And they're, well, they're no, trying they're to not running that. But they're not running that because as soon as you say we support in the short term, everyone's fallen asleep and voted for the LNP or Mad Catter's Tea Party or One Nation. Though, speaking of, speaking of my electorate, I'm... I'm in a federal LNP seat with the local LNP member is very critical of the Morrison government. She's gotten in quite a bit of troubles, and that's why she's a backbencher. But she seems to be doing a good job for the local area. I need to do more research. The local state member is Labor, and this has always been a Labor seat. It has never not been a Labor seat. The closest threat at the moment is One Nation. At the one, But the One Nation uh, candidate here is, well... He's even worse than the standard One Nation uh, general candidate. He apparently started a uh, anti-Muslim organisation with the cover that it was a domestic violence support group. Oh, God. Yeah, he's... Yeah. So he he has won the bottom place on my on my ballot sheet, uh, which is always a race to the bottom, but he is firmly locked in that position. So congratulations. He's, he's made my job a lot easier. Now it's just a mix of where I put the other ones. I always find that the ballot sheet is a bit like that. The top couple are easy and the bottom couple are easy and then there's the people in the middle. Oh, particularly yeah. the, the federal election with Senate ones where it's, there, there's a lot of them running very misleading names. Like there'll be a party, there'll be a health party and it's oh, they're anti-vaxxers. Well, here, here, is my, here is my postal vote because I am terrified of pandemic and, and trying not to go out in public as much as possible, even though I am reasonably safe in central Queensland. 
And yeah, there is a party here called the Informed Medical Options Party. Are they anti-vaxxers? Guess what they are. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least when we vote in Australia by post, your vote is going to be counted. It's not like the, the thing that what John Oliver was ex- exposing about the American ones where people who, th- who think they've managed to get their vote in, they've done a postage vote in some states, just get them thrown out because a computer oh. goes and matches them against their driver's license. And their signature is not the same as it was when they were 18 and signed that, that form or whatever. They compare and, they, and the computer goes, nah, not exactly the same. No yeah. vote. No vote. You didn't manage to exactly replicate your signature. You can't vote in this election. But no. they don't, also don't tell you either. So you don't know that your vote's no. been checked out. So no. at least we don't, uh, we're not facing that. I have yeah. to say, just back on the, the, the Labour mixed messaging thing, I, I think two things. One, this is a, indicative of what's the problem with trying to be a broad church party. That you are trying to be all things to all people and you are... It's dishonest. You're only able to get away with it in so long as those people don't talk to each other or realise that you're talking to both of them. And I think mm. that should become increasingly difficult to do uh, as information access becomes better. And I think Labor needs to stop doing it. Because the other problem, of course, is that when you're doing that, half the time you're boosting the, oppo- you're boosting the opposing mm. arguments for each side yeah. that you're trying to say you yeah. represent. So when you do the coal mine thing up in Mackay... You're yelling about how coal is a great, you know, it, 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 building a new coal mine is not short-term transition. Building a new coal mine is thirty years of digging out more coal. Mm. Like that's not a, you can't do that without. If you're going to try and argue for it, then you're completely undermining the other part of you saying no, climate change is serious. You can't have it both ways, and you look like an idiot for trying to do it. And I don't think it even works. You lose ah. seats to the you should lose seats to the Greens who are arguing. Mm. If you're if you're a person who recognises the climate emergency is a real thing, what then you can't vote for Labor. You'll vote for the Greens. And if you're just if you're you, you don't think there's any options for you but more coal mines, you're not going to vote Labor either. You're still going to mm. you're going to vote for the bloody LNP. So mm-hmm. Labor just by trying to be all things to all people is no one to no to nobody is nothing to everyone or is and everything. That's why, to no, and that's why to centrism nobody. is bad, basically. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and they, they've they've tried to fudge that line for so many years, and it should be become apparent to them that that is less and less tenable. Like, I well, certainly get yeah. that you need, they need to have a better message in Mackay than, um, screw you all, we're going to destroy your jobs. Uh, but there I are would, ways I would, of doing I would that. buy a beer for the, Labor, for the Labor candidate who did that, let's be honest. I would If you had the balls to go to Mackay or any of those mining towns around Claremont, that sort of thing, and basically say, no, screw your jobs, the environment's more important, I would buy that guy or girl a beer. Definitely. Well, they would lose in a landslide. That's but, right. They would you know, need that because they would be... You know, stupid, but ballsy. The alternative is to be standing up there and saying, this is how many jobs that actually creates. These are different things. And this is what mm. we're going to do for you to get you better jobs and support you in mm. the meantime. Yep. The Libs are going to throw you on the scrap heap. In fact, mm. even if they build these mines, they're automating them. Yeah. And when they automate them... You're going to lose all your job inf- anyway. All that information is all that information is publicly available. It's all come up. We've got an Adani uh, co- corporate exec who's admitted on the stand that the amount of jobs that would be created by the Adani mine will not be as many as originally as originally yeah. stated. So, so this is all public record. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how many times they say that for 13 years, Labor has not been able to get the message out. Yeah. But I don't know how well they try. It doesn't feel like they try. It feels like mm. what they actually do is seed, like with so many things. Mm. They cede the argument to the libs at the beginning. And the same with the tax cuts. Elbow 
immediately go, they, they actually tried to have it both ways. They tried to argue that actually the tax cuts should come in quicker. The problem with the Libs is they're not giving you enough tax cuts and screwing public revenue so that you can't, they can't provide services. Speaking of politics, this is just what I found in my letterbox. Ah, so you've got the right. Even more babies would die under a Labour government. Okay, yep. so you've got the religious fundamentalists of the anti... The, sorry, I, I'm not even going to call them anti-abortionists at the point. I'm going to call them forced birthers. Mm. They're the forced birthers. Mm. Let's go back to the, the, the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> sorry, to sorry for the derailment, but that yes, that, that's just oh, I have to deal with this crap as well. Yeah, yeah, the graphic, the graphic <laughs> baby murderers stuff, and I, I did see the the, the um, ACL running because they're, they're they're much for the babies, um, not not living babies. They mean they mean fetuses, not actual living babies. They don't give a shit. But about that's those. okay because they don't actually care about them once they're children. They yeah. don't actually care about support systems for. Uh, for parents who are having a hard time, they don't care about, you know, social safety nets for single parents or poor parents. What they no. just care about is forcing you to have a baby. Yeah, that's why yep. they're not. A they're not pro-life. A woman, a woman is nothing unless she is a mother. Yes. Forced births, not pro-lifers. Yeah. Um, also, it also amazes me how many of them support the death penalty for capital crimes. Yeah, that's that's the one where they there's a difference between uh, Catholic uh, Roman the, the Roman Catholic Church approach on the the, the the forced birth, and also I think they're because I think they're officially still against the death penalty. Yeah. Um, whereas you also yeah that's right you get a lot of the non-Catholic right wingers who are mm. pro death penalty and call themselves pro life, which is mm. which I was which is my now go to argument when I'm talking with someone who is like in quotes pro life because I'll say oh so you don't support the death penalty then for capital crimes and watch them start spluttering. It, mm. it just won't work with Roman Catholics because they'll say no we don't. Mm. That they're they're was, at least morally consistent on that. I can't. I was. I was originally raised Roman Catholic, so yeah, I get that. Yeah, same um, here. The, the, one, the last <laughs> thing I want to say about the Queensland situation, actually, no, there's two things because I want to. I want to mention um, Deb Freckleton's uh, latest completely bonkers proposal. Oh uh, God! Proposal, <laughs> in an attempt to win back the seniors who are, who who <laughs> like Labor's pro letting keeping you alive policy and don't like her pro throw you to the wolves because you're old. You've had a good run. Uh, that's the LNP's general approach on COVID. And I feel like that's not going so well with a certain cohort of, of voters, um, traditional conservative voters. But the, I just want to say to Labor, look, there are arguments, and you may not have won them yet, mm. but that you don't win an argument the first time you run it. You've got to persevere. Mm. And what you're dealing with with people who want Adani is fear. They're afraid mm. of... of being of the immediate financial impact, but also afraid of losing their standing and their career and their, their and you need to promise, make sure that they can believe mm. that you are going to make sure mm. that they are okay. You mm. know, if they're the the people who believe that they've never taken a handout, even though they mm. definitely have, but mm. even if they're the kind of people who who believe in their own sort of you know hard yak had got them where they were and that you know they don't want a handout from the government, they just want the old job mm. that they had. Mm. You, you can still be pitching. Those jobs are going under the free market. They are mm. going to be automated away. Mm. We're the only people who are giving you a pathway that mm. you can strongly take yourself to mm. bring yourself forward, and we'll support you to do that transition. You and don't need our fear, help generally. Yeah. We're just going to help you with the transition. Mm. That's what we're going to help you with. And that fear is understandable. Have you ever seen a town die? It's sad and terrifying. It's awful, and I have seen it. My, my, whole, my, my hometown is dead. Uh, a little place called Riverston in um, southeast New South Wales. It's it's a it's a dead town. It, it and it was never mining. What killed that town was the closure of the abattoir. Yeah, and well, yeah, and, and Wang here, this mm. this town is smaller than it was 
10, 20 years ago, they've closed mm. down the woolen mill. Yeah. I come from a region where automotive factories, so Niagara Falls uh, was very heavy into automotive factories, and the jobs that have replaced it are tourism jobs, which are seasonal. And mm. so it's one of those frustrating things, you know, that when the automotive factory started closing, again, you'd have 20, 30,000 people suddenly out of work, and that's massive. And yeah. it has an on flow to all the other industries yeah. that are bit, yeah. And I'm, mm. I'm 100% that the government needs to not be throwing those people to the wolves and those towns mm. to the wolves. And one of the things that they could have done to support those towns um, is not to have screwed up the NBN in the first place. So that, you know, yeah. you know internet infrastructure so people can do their businesses from. Anyway, and a decent social safety net. So when people are unemployed and don't have a thing, they actually have enough money to live on that they can still go buy groceries and they can still do things, which then helps support the cafes and other businesses that still run in that area. But the solution isn't mm-hmm. to just keep manufacturing the old style job in that. I mean, no. the mm. right near Wangaratta, there's a town called El Dorado, uh, <laughs> which presumably had gold at some point. But it's mm. not like the government's gone. Well, we need to keep gold jobs going in El Dorado. Technology changes. Mm. Resources, jobs that are limited to what's that you can find in the earth well, are not permanent. Of, and a lot of the wine farming in the King Valley, for example, used to be tobacco farming. Yeah. So that's a place. That's an area where they they transitioned. You know, and, it, yeah. and, and they would have been like, no, any kind of a you know attack on the tobacco industry is an attack on us. But yeah. there are other things that can be done. Yeah. Mm. And what was your second point? This is your first point. <laughs> I think it's another great example of liberals and conservatives being very fond of, for example, fetuses, but not actually being big on supporting the children once they're there. And that's in Kensington Townsville. The LNP candidate is suggesting putting in a curfew for under 14-year-olds. I thought it was Freckleton herself. I thought she tweeted it. It was. It was. Freckleton announced the policy, but I'm pretty sure the uh, the local LMP candidate parroted it. Oh, well, if we're going to go down to wacky wacky local LMP stuff, like they've, they've also got their... Um, do you remember that, that young LMP person who was like... We've got to stop celebrating a culture that couldn't even invent the bloody wheel, for God's sake. Well, that dickhead who was caught on video and then kicked out of the party, but he's still campaigning for them. Oh, that happened? Okay, that, that was happened. a thing, of course. Well, then they, they got pointed out to them by... I think it was Channel 7 got the, got the footage of it, and then they kicked out. But yeah, no, Freckleton was saying this... this and one of the things is that children under 14 will have an 8 p.m. curfew and kids under, was it 17? Yeah, under 17 will be at oh, 10, 10 p.m. curfew. Yeah. And that the with the large indigenous populations in these areas, that the parents getting a $250 fine for every time their kid is found out and then being possibly remanded into custody, that youth prisons are going to be an issue, youth uh, recidivism is going to be an issue. It can lead to vigilantism along the communities where, you know, suddenly kids, especially young indigenous kids, are getting a assaulted and attacked um, by oh, people. How did I miss that it was going to have a racist element? Oh, right. Um, and that basically it is. It is entirely that they are the, the communities they're really focusing on is the marginalized kids, which in these communities is predominantly indigenous children, Aboriginal children, and that it's going to create that huge issue again of uh, creating a big divide, creating huge court debts or huge debts for parents who can't afford it for these stupid fines that are, you know, unjust. Uh, an Aboriginal family is not necessarily, uh, a marginalised Aboriginal family is not necessarily in the same position to pay it as a wealthy white family whose kid is found out on the street. You know, $250 means a means a big difference. Um, like it's well, just, any point, it's, it's an attack on the homeless. Well, so. it is attack on the homeless. It's ha- it's attack on kids who deal with domestic violence um, at home, oh, yeah, and so flee, might have flee, reasons. Flee family violence. You know, you might not even want to be. You. Yeah, you might not even want to be out at home because there might be issues there. Um, like it's just it's, it's such a, it's a, a bad idea. It's a bigoted, brainless, authoritarian brain fart. But apparently, it would actually be in breach of the uh, Convention of the Rights of the Child, in which we're actually a signatory to as well. Mm. 
I am currently a criminal defense lawyer. I have previously worked as a police prosecutor. I cannot stress professionally how much this is a bad idea before mm. you get into the racial element of it. Mm-hmm. Oh. I hadn't even thought of the racial aspect, but yeah, yeah. Just, just anything that gives the police these sorts of discretionary powers to just sort of bully people for just being mm. there. And, and, and how, is, how ironic is it that, that this is at the same time that the LNP elsewhere in the country is complaining about curfews uh, in Victoria that were there to stop the spread of a virus, which they think is completely outrageous, but they want to imply curfews just because of somebody's age. Oh, the cognitive dissonance here is remarkable, but what gets me is that... This is just essentially a 30-second soundbite to make it look like that they are tough on crime. But Uh from a cost standpoint, the amount of money this is going to cost to get the police out there to actually be picking these kids up, to be enforcing these rules, the court time, all the resources that will be tied into this will be very expensive. Plus the fact we have actually run out of room in regards to juvenile detention in Queensland. Yeah. So they're going to have to build another juvenile detention centre, but no one's really talking about that because the thing is, prisons aren't sexy and don't win your votes. So no one really talks about prison policies, particularly around election time. So there's all this cost involved where realistically, if you wanted to stop these the, the problems with juvenile crime and... I don't I haven't seen the stats, but I can say from a personal just like a personal at the coalface standpoint, there's a, there's slightly more at the moment than you would otherwise see. But yeah, it's not a poverty. it's not a it's not an abnormality, it's just a slight blip. There's nothing, there's nothing that we can really point to. But if you put instead of going after a stupid policy like this, if you put the money into social services, if you put the money into education, you would have the same effect. It would cost less money, and you would actually be fostering communities. Yeah, well, well and one of the uh, like one of the criminology professors from James Cook University who comments about this in the Guardian article makes that point. Like, this is not about crime prevention or community safety. Um, and if you have to, to if you really want community safety, you have to do it in a way that doesn't criminalize children. Yep. You have to do it in a way that deals with some of the root issues of the problem. Where have the libs actually said what the problem is? Uh, The youths are laughing in the face of police officers. They're laughing in the face of the government because labour is soft on crime. Yeah, there's apparently a perceived increase in Townsville, which experts have said is actually overblown. It's a temporary blip. It's a short-term blip that, you know, youth crime is is increasing. Yeah. Uh, But you can always sell it to older people because the point is, as you get older, you become more convinced that the world is more dangerous than it was in your... Because you become aware of more dangers Mm. as you age. You experience them, you see them, you have friends who experience them, like you're exposed to more incidents just by the passage of time and exposure to other human beings, you see more things go wrong, so you then think that there's more things going wrong. Hmm. The thing was, they were always that amount going wrong. They, they, it's just that you were young and oblivious to it hmm. because it wasn't you didn't know anybody affected yet because you hadn't had enough time sort of out in the world. And that's, that's always the case. Older people always think that the world is more dangerous yes. than it is. But also, let's look at this from the standpoint, all right, so we... Let's run with the idea that, yes, there is a slight increase at the moment in juvenile crime. That's a blip. That's because they're acting out because, let's be honest, the world is a terrible place right now. There's a lot of stresses going on, and probably a lot of these kids are bored. Yeah. So, I mean, as as my wife has pointed out, 
there's a direct correlation between um, offending behaviour and, and education standards. So if you assist with education, it yeah. will assist with this sort of pro- these sort of problems as well. But again, that's not sexy. That doesn't win votes. We're tough on crime. It's again shorthand. Can you imagine the hopelessness that you'd be feeling right now? You've got mm. you've got the the world. The, the climate change is clearly out of control, and the, the people in charge don't give a shit about it. Even basic things like hey, let's rein in police brutality it gets squashed by the police with some mm. extra police brutality, and then you've got the government busy screwing up your educational mm. future, not just. Mm. So I'm not sure what the situation has been in Queensland in terms of... I, I think there's been... Even Queensland's had big chunks of, of the year which has not been... Uh, where schools and things have been shut down. So that, you know, I, that might lead to an immediate bit of extra youth crime because people are being bored. But, yeah. but in terms of direct policy that's not avoidable and it's just out of spite, it's what the Libs just managed to do to higher education. Mm. Oh, like, absolutely. The, the whole bit where they've just ripped the possibility of university degrees if unless you're in one of their favored categories so uh, you were going to you were going to be a person who was going to be a social worker or a, a, you had aspirations to do something that you were good at which would be more, more along the humanities side well frankly your your university career is just going to be twice as expensive now mm. um, have you considered doing maths which you're not good at it's not your <laughs> not your forte but why, why don't we just force you into that but just everything is more expensive mm. and all they've done instead of as they make university more and more expensive, they make it harder and harder. They basically return it to the age, the ages when you, know, you had to be from a privileged background to get the benefit of tertiary education, which is a whole experiment in the 70s to undo that, of which all these politicians benefited, or from which they all benefited. Now, I'm now getting off the youth point, but just on the university thing, and, and thanks a lot, Central Alliance, for letting that one through. Even Jackie Lambie had seen how crappy the idea was. Even even your own Rebecca Sharkey was still like, no, this is going to be massively uh, unfair to uh, vast swaths of Australia, and then they voted for it anyway. Another point that I think that the people who've already had their educations and don't have kids, so they don't give a shit, haven't considered, I'm willing to bet that every single one of you is not listening to this podcast. But um, <laughs> hypothetically, if you were listening to this podcast, I'm willing to bet that every single one of you will at some point be seeking to use the services of tertiary educated people. Do you want those tertiary educated people to be selected on the basis of ability and skill or or on the basis of their parents' bank balance? Hmm. Do you want those people to be nursing an enormous university debt so that they have to keep pushing up the prices of all of those services for you? Do you think that making university harder and access more sparse and more allocated only to the people who've got money in the first place or parents who've got money in the first place, can you not see how that could come back and bite everybody else in the community whether or not they have kids? And then if you you know have kids, it's obviously got a direct impact. And if you are those kids, you know, maybe, maybe you do want to go and, you know, spray paint a few cop cars or something. Mm. But just getting on back to that point that you raised in regards to the worry that police are being laughed at but not being respected by kids. Yes, the best way to uh, make fascists feel bad is to laugh no, at them. I was going to say that. When we read that laugh thing, it was just so much a... It's kind of like one of those um, dividing points on who, mm. what, where you are politically is how you perceive that sentence. If the idea of police mm. being laughed at just deeply outrages you, you're a right-wing dick. <laughs> the idea that mm. la- being laughed at is... Mm. Well, well, we, we, we mentioned the police brutality stuff. Um, Denise, you had some figures that came in from Victoria Police uh, in, relation, in relation to just why this whole fantasy of police being heroes. And I know I, we had Blue Ribbon Week or something. We, I, I saw something... Um, oh, it was police remembrance. It was police remembrance day, and you know they've got the kids doing the we love the pl- you police are like heroes stuff, and I'm like, look, okay, there's a certain age where you are allowed to believe in 
you know, you believe in the Star Wars universe, mm. you believe in Narnia, you believe in mm. fairies, you believe that the police are not a, a, an inherently corrupt organisation. And you, know, you can believe in those fantasies when you're very young, but then in the real world, you come up with facts like this. Apparently, mm. 82 officers between 2015 and 2019 were had family violence charges brought against them. Of those, only uh, one was found guilty, and absolutely none of them had convictions recorded to them. Of those 82 officers, uh, 10 of them went to appear in court. Nine of them had their charges withdrawn, and one was the one was found guilty, which no conviction recorded. But just for context, in Victoria, the criminal courts, only 11% of defendants um, finalized in the criminal courts in the year of 2019 had their matters withdrawn by the prosecution. 84% of them had their charges proven. So if you consider that complete flip to the other side, where like 0.01% had their charges proven in Victoria, mm. and none had convictions recorded, it's just, it's shocking. Yeah. So the one thing I would say, and obviously you've done work with the police, and, and I would like to believe that the police, you, you want to believe, obviously everybody knows there are bad apples in the police force. Of course there are. We're all, we're, you, know, you see it. They're people given, you know, the police are given a lot of power and trust. You will undoubtedly have bad apples who will abuse that power and trust. The problem, and the reason why people say ACAB, is that the other cops don't weed out those cops. They back them up. And that's when it stops being there are bad apples spoiling the bunch to mm. it's a bunch of bad apples. Well, because that's part of the training. Mm. Well, the roots, the roots, the roots of the tree are poisoned. Mm. So to speak, I mean, in my experience, when there was, and this is just, just, just my experience working as a civilian in those organizations, when there was that bad apple, it was dealt with. It wasn't covered up. Hmm. It was dealt with begrudgingly. It was dealt with in a way that was like, well, we don't want to do this, but it was dealt with. But I certainly acknowledge that outside of that little bubble I was in, there is a wider problem where there are, there are people turning a blind eye or covering up. But I was fortunate that when it happened, it was dealt with. But we saw that story a couple of weeks ago with mm. the... I think it was the one who had accessed the police database and given it to that woman's yeah. abusive ex. That the police force not only didn't punish him, and in fact he ended up having a his, his punishment massively reduced because it would impact on his ability to be a police officer. Like, that was not... As if that was a bug and not a feature of him finally being found guilty. Well, clar cl clarity, that was done by the courts on appeal. That wasn't done yes. by the police. Yeah. And I was but I was working there when that was all going down and that particular individual was not well spoken of, he was not well liked and the back of him could not be more quickly seen, but on appeal, unfortunately. And yet, and yet, mm. but, but remember all of those references he got from current serving police mm. officers talking about how, what a great officer he was. There was plenty of closing ranks around him. No, I'm sure there and was. The, and, and the police officer training, who... Yeah, so the, the woman who, uh, the police officer who was a female police officer who reported him in the first place had uh, so much stuff brought against her. Oh, yeah. she, she was drummed out of She was harassed. Do you remember the where they dug back and they dug back six years ago that she hadn't worn her hat? Yeah. Like, oh, it they was, punished... Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah. But again, I'm, I've been very privileged that where I was working... I was working with, I, I, there was no issues, but yes, there's certain, but for this to have happened, there certainly has to have been that systemic looking the other way, covering up that sort of thing. And it certainly needs to be addressed. But the fact that that was the appeal went through, through the courts is disappointing to me as well. Yeah, it was. Mm. But also just on this, um, just going back to the earlier point, I've just pulled up the crime statistics for Queensland starting in 2019 until September this year. There's been a steady decline. 
in just offence numbers in Queensland since the beginning of last year. There's a massive dip in April when the lockdown from March to April where the lockdown commenced. And it's steadily climbed back up and going down, but it's still much lower than it was last year. So again, Labor could be just like just flash up this bar chart <laughs> and yeah. go, this curfew's not necessary. I guess it depends on what, what kind of crime you're talking about. Because mm. I imagine that when everybody's locked down in their homes, home burglaries probably go down. Um, You'd hope. There's, it's, and, and, and there's no job keeper for burglars. It was very rough on them. Um, I have to say, the, the other aspect we're going to talk about, just briefly about crime in Queensland, did you see, um, this is a little bit ago now, um, but within the parameters since our last episode, that the outrage that was thrown at the um, refugee protesters who threw red paint at the Prime Minister's car when he went to the University of Queensland? Oh, uh, yeah. And, of course, you've got all the people screaming about uh, the, the property damage. Why, why would anybody think of the Duco and Prime Ministerial cars? And it's like, you know what? Uni students not accepting the brutality that we dish out to refugees and continuing mm. to be angry about it and fight for it. Thank you. Mm. Because that's the whole point that we even have a strive of humanity on this podcast is to try and like we should never accept that. You know that the Save Albert Park protesters are still they still have it Save Albert Park. Like 20, 30 years after Jeff Kennett bulldozed it to make the bloody racetrack. Uh, do you, do you, I don't know if you know what this is. When when uh, Victoria took the Grand Prix from Adelaide. Oh, they they bulldozed a part of of Albert Park. I remember, uh, yeah, yeah, to make the Grand Prix track. Yeah, um, and there was a Save Albert Park that were fighting yes, this, I remember and they that. kept fighting it huh? for a long time, mm. years after the race had been going, years after all of the pert damage was well and truly permanent, had been well and truly locked in over time, and they never accepted it. Now, I don't agree that, that what we do to refugees is in that in that category because, unlike you know trees that have been cut down, they're human beings we're still persecuting, and so we should never accept that sort of thing. So anyway. Good on the University of Queensland protesters who were mm. holding the Prime Minister to account for what he, d- mm. he stands for now as a Prime Minister, but also for the brutality that he enacted on refugees when he was, you know, our previously worst immigration minister ever. Yeah. Well, interestingly, at University of Sydney, they've had some protests as well. Um, and the police have been very prevalent on the University of Sydney uh, <gasps> campus. And one, the, uh, well, the first one was there's these pictures of them harassing a group of uh, high school students who were there on a tour and they were just sitting in the commons and they started like going up to them and being like, you can't be gathering here and blah. And they were having their like lunch in the commons. The other one was where they wrestled a professor yep. to the ground. He's actually a pro- like he's a professor in social change and these sorts of things, and he was watching the protests as part of his work. And they literally wrestled him to the ground and held him to the ground. And yeah, it I was- thought it was a professor involved in uh, sorry, professor who had some sort of expertise in relation to the legal matters. Yeah, he does, and, and he he does that, and and so this is the area he he's studies. A poor choice. And he was there watching the protests. He wasn't a part of the protests. So yeah, they they assaulted him. But this is the thing where when in order to squash. Um, Things like BLM, they pass all these laws criminalizing uh, g- gatherings if it was for a common purpose, mm. and they just this is why you don't give police these kinds of wild discretionary powers because they abuse them. Mm. They're not trained to deal with them in a calm and and appropriate fashion. You give them a power that it'll be abused. Mm. Like don't give them new powers. They don't need new powers. They have plenty of powers. They have plenty of powers as they are. There's plenty of charges they can already lay. They don't need new charges. And yes, certainly throwing paint is not the worst sin. You can get Audi Duco, you know, will scrub off quite nicely when you clean it. But oh, just um, the mindset of a conservative, the mm. other, you know, if you want to align between conservatives and progressive people, it's whether you consider property damage on par of damage against people. Yeah, exactly. 
There's so much where they're like, mm. yes, but this this item of property was damaged. That's mm. a really serious thing. Like, yeah. and that that divert, you know that warranted police violence, physical violence. Like, well, no, you it think doesn't. of the, you think of the caliber of politicians who in the past who, when they've had such things thrown at them, just say, oh, it's just an egg or it's just paint. Well, isn't that why we have the Australian Federal Police in the first place? Because somebody threw an egg at. Uh, Billy Hughes or somebody? Is that what, was that the start of the federal police? Apparently, it's a long. Oh, I have no idea. I'm throwing look. Throwing eggs at politicians is a long and glorious tradition in Australian politics. But yeah, okay, I've not heard that story before. I'm going to have to look into that. There was a sensitive issue that came up in, in New South Wales uh, in the last couple of weeks, and it touched on a person's private life uh, and how much the media should dig into that private life. And in this case, we're talking about the private life of very corrupt politicians to be able to do corrupt stuff and. Uh, have their partner in a position of extreme power and authority tell them, don't tell me about that corrupt thing that you're doing, person that is, I, I intend to, that I said that I intend to marry. But I don't want to hear about that corrupt thing. Don't tell me about it because I'm the Premier of New South Wales. Yeah, don't tell me about the corrupt things, person I fired from job for corruption. Um, I don't want to know about corrupt mm. things, but I will keep dating you. Oh, that is so unfair. When, when organisations like ICAC, and it's... It's ICAC. We've all agreed it's ICAC, not ICAC. Who's going? Where, where, when, when did we agree to flip to ICAC? Abe? Who called? Who called it ICAC? Uh, Media or who said that? The politicians. Gladys yeah. keeps calling it the ICAC. She, she calls it the ICAC. It's ICAC. We agreed on this. It's ICAC, <laughs> not ICAC. There was a memo and everything. <laughs> it was a, I ran was a, a Twitter poll. I ran a Twitter poll and people agreed it was ICAC. No, no. Australia posted a postal <laughs> survey and we all agreed. Yeah, no. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, the guy's thing. I, I just and she's been doing all of this nausea. You saw? Did you see Sally Rugsing calling bullshit on the whole? Oh, I'm a I'm a poor wronged wronged woman whose lover betrayed me with his filthy corruption. That that ridiculous um, defense spin that she's running. Did you read Sally Rugsing today? Mm. I think it was in the. No, I didn't actually. I didn't actually read that. If you could send me a link, that'd be good. I would like to read that. It is. It has been. I mean, it's good that there's, there's journalists criticizing her, but it has just been mind boggling. The amount of journalists and other people who have been flocking to defend her. Yes. That just blows my mind. And missing the point. point. Like, as if if she's being attacked from. I mean, yes, sure, cartoonists and and, and shitty hacks will have been like, ooh, the. You know, the the premier's sex life, ooh, here's here's something juicy. Mm. Um, And. But then if you want to. If you want to say that that's not not appropriate and you you want to. Draw uh, draw a barrier against it, then probably the premier shouldn't be going on bloody Kyle and Jackie mm. O and giggling about mm. uh, or letting them giggle about speculating yeah. about her sex life. Just nauseating. Look, your personal life is your personal life, and it should be kept out of the media and should not be talked about unless it impacts on your job. And covering up potentially for corruption impacts on your job. But what even particularly her- when you are the premier? Has anybody heard any argument from her and the libs? To back to explain the time problem, she no, sacked him in twenty eighteen. They, they are focused. For they, corruption. They're running with they're running with the argument that I am a wronged woman and that is bad. And your questions are starting to get offensive. Yeah, you that sacked is him their, for corruption. That is their playbook, and it's working. That's the problem. Except it's then she working. went on like Kyle Sanderlands. That's what you said. Yeah, exactly. He's like just, she went oh. on Kyle Sanderlands, and then she's all like, "Ha ha ha! Well, maybe we weren't really dating that seriously." Ha ha ha! But I wanted to marry him. It's yeah. it's spin. It's spin, and it's dumb. Also, again, and side side sidebar. Why does that guy still have a job? Anyway, yeah, moving no. on. Yeah. yeah, no, but so it's unedifying and I, I think I think that as Sally points out I think that, that Gladys playing the wronged woman poor me and my I mean 
how could I know what, what financial things this man I was dating was up to when he was recorded saying it and I was recorded saying, don't tell me about it. But how could I know these yeah. things with my delicate lady brain? I'm only the Premier of New South Wales. Yeah, who has consistently... Uh, sadly, there's legal precedent for that. But, she's, but yeah, fundamentally, how does she get around the I sacked him for corruption in 2018? Because she's like, I didn't know he was corrupt. You know, I, just, I was just in love with him. You sacked him for corruption. How did you not know he was corrupt? You kept dating him for another two years after that. <laughs> you can't have it both ways. Uh, nuts, isn't it? What even is the response? I, mean, I don't understand the journos who are defending her. Who are like, he needs being pointed out to them every time they do that. Everybody shouts back at them. She kept dating him after sacking him for corruption. Hmm. How are they still arguing that that's there's no issue there? I'm assuming that's the orders they're getting from on high. But it's but, you want to be really cynical about it. But it's also people like what Emma Alberici in these. She's not getting any orders from on high. Yeah, that. Well, yeah, that that has. Ugh, that was really disappointing. Quite honestly, I have a lot of respect for Emma Alberici, but uh, yeah, she's. I don't know what she's doing with this one. It's bizarre, and, and like every bit that comes out about Maguire is more and more shocking. <laughs> like, did you see his his iPad and phone tractor accident where he accidentally dropped his and and that they were like and then later he said it was a joke. Oh no, ha ha! I, I, they did break out in the paddock accidentally, but I, I I was joking when I said a tractor ran over them. Now that you now that you interrogate me about how that's obviously me destroying them to remove evidence. Oh my goodness! And and the bit where he brought um people from Wagga with. The, the criminal background. Um, I Yeah, did you see that? To meet with I her. don't know this one. Anyway, look, it's, the whole thing is problematic, uh, and I don't understand it. The, the fact that they think that they can fudge through it, it's got to mean either, um, well, first of all, they've got so much media support in that town that maybe they can mm. fudge through it, and maybe this, maybe this media blitz will work for her. But the other thing is there must not have been anybody in the Liberals who was ready to take it. And had it had no. the support to take it, and so they're like, "Well, if we don't yeah. have anyone who can take it, then I guess we have to go behind her." But look at yeah, but well, that's the thing. Look at what's been happening in other similar democracies. Look at all the allegations in regards to Donald Trump as the clearest example, and how he has just coasted through all that. This is the right play to make for the for the coalition in New South Wales, absolutely, because it'll work, and it is working. Isn't it perverse? And that's. Yeah, then it's perverse is the best way to describe well, it. I was just going to say, it's like, isn't it, in the old days, you would think that a sex scandal, this sort of stuff, would hurt a conservative figure because their voters are conservative and would have an issue, have more of an issue with it and it would hurt their standing with those voters. Mm. But in mm. these days, all their voters are in such a cult around them anyway um, and only mm. really care about the tax cuts that they get um, mm. that, that they don't care about this. And it's almost like, even though a sex scandal is more yeah. hypocritical and problematic from a moralising right-wing politician, they're more likely to take down a progressive because the conservatives will run yeah. it harder because they don't care. Yeah. Um, and, the, and, yeah. Then, and then just the noise. like the, It won't be a, a moral reason that makes the, the, the left drop mm. that person, but it'll be all the noise and then your you centre-left people mm. um, will be like, oh, I, well, it's just, just too hard. We can't argue it. And there is and there is that hypocrisy here as well because I've been I've had friends who live in New South Wales explain to me well no uh, the premier has run on the fact that she was a good conservative you know moral family oriented yeah. person yeah. and she's uh, in a relationship with as I understand a married man now maybe but again I don't care no. I don't care who he was I don't care I, all if he was a consenting adult I don't give a, I don't right. give a crap. 
the fact that she was privy to corruption and potentially covered it up or willfully turned a blind eye while she was the premier is the issue. I don't care about anything else. She can... uh, Do we have a language writing on this podcast? No? She can fuck whoever she wants. I don't care. As long as they're consenting adults. But... When it co- if she's covered up corruption, that is the issue. I don't care about anything else. And that's the line that the opposition should be running with. And it seems to me that they've got an ineffective opposition in uh, New South Wales as well. All the East Coast states, ineffective oppositions. That's the only saving grace of Victoria at the moment as well. The the the, uh, op- the liberal... I, I think that's actually been one of the issues in Victoria. Like One of the issues and one of the reasons people keep sort of flouting lockdown and doing so much shit is because the opposition which is so backed by the uh the herald sun here sitting there going like ah oh, dan shouldn't do this dan should do this dan shouldn't do this and, oh from and- the very beginning like if you're looking for a difference between yeah. victoria and new south wales um it's not because their government has been well actually there's two issues one is that they their health department was in a better nick at the start of it because yeah. um our health department was run down by kenneth and then never fixed over many yeah, years of never like, never fixed yeah um, and, and as I've said, like in terms of the, the, it was very unedifying what happened at the end of the, um, the inquiry and we haven't got the results yet. Uh, ignoring that. And the fact that Andrews has not come out and said, there are two things that were wrong here. One is, oh, sorry, sorry, he should say there are three things wrong. If I was Daniel Andrews, here are the three things that, are, that went wrong in Victoria. Number one, mm. we have an opposition that from the very beginning has been screaming that this is a serious virus and undermining every public health message. They don't have that in New South yep. Wales. They have an opposition that's been supportive of the public health message. So number one, mm. we don't have that problem. Number two, mm. we have a problem with the... Um, we, we agree that the health system does need reform, and we're going to be doing that. Mm-hmm. And um, stay tuned for the, the details on how we're going to do that because we are going to do a genuine root and branch reform of how this is structured. Um, mm-hmm. Number three, the other issue has been that we were use, overusing privatisation, and we won't be doing that going forward. Yeah. You can go and number ask three, our opponents number, yeah. whether they now are going to change mm. their position on, on privatising yeah. these services because we've changed number our Number three, mind they should have jumped on. The number three, they should have absolutely jumped on. Dan Andrews should have come out and said, no, privatisation clearly doesn't work. We will never use privatisation yeah. again. I want the opposition to make yeah. the same back affirmation. They would have blown their minds. It would have been awesome to see. Yeah, instead they sort of tried been- to... Pretend that it was fine. They tried to defend the privatisation. And it would have been so fantastic for, like, an investment in state services, an investment in state infrastructure, all of Mm. those sorts of things. You could have also stood up and said, by the way, here is where we see what the costs of um, economic rationalism are. When you, when you, mm. for the purposes of being more efficient, you run out of the system all of the give and take, all of the, the flexibility, because mm. it saves you money in the short term. This is where that comes back home to roost. So that's another thing. We're going yeah. to make sure that going forward, the infrastructure, even if there is a slight extra cost ongoing, it gives us insurance. Mm. We're going to make sure the infrastructure mm. has the, the buffer to move. Mm. Yeah, 2020 has definitely been the year that shows that you need to make infrastructure investment, otherwise it will bite you in the ass. And it would have been a good year for Labor parties to be running that argument yeah. because it's one that they're yes. stronger on than the Libs, but they haven't. But yes, unfortunately, the Labor Party has proven to me time and time again this year that they don't want to change the status quo. They just want to be in charge of the status quo, and that is my major issue with the Labor that Party at the moment. does seem like it. Nicely put, actually. Nicely put. Which reminds me, Brandon, I just want to go back to Queensland briefly. Did You saw this week that the Prime Minister got stuck in cans and couldn't attend National Cabinet because apparently uh, they didn't have, they couldn't provide him with a secure line 
Now, oh. my recollection of Cairns is it's fairly fairly big and has a big military base. Um, do they have electricity up there? Is, 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 it, a, is it smoke signals? How, do they have is... internet or is it tin cans with strings? We don't still? talk about cans. It, like, it technically doesn't exist. It's just a tourist trap. We basically got like the old you know wooden mock-up <laughs> buildings for the tourists to come in. It's like a playtown. No, that's ridiculous. I hadn't actually heard that. There's been a bunch of issues with the Prime Minister's visit into Queensland and where he has been or where he hasn't been and who or who he hasn't spoken to actually. There's that great photo with him with Serena Russo. Ugh. Sorry, better identify anybody. Serena Russo is the head of a one of the one of those parasitical job network organisations. I think it's, no, it's called, not called job network, but the employment, the, employment yeah, basically the, the privatisation of the employment services. The hmm. organisations that basically um, bully job yeah. seekers into shitty yeah. roles that are uh, short term, uh, aren't appropriate for their skills, and uh, can starve them to death if they uh, if if they cross them in anyway. She is one of she yeah she is one of several individuals who have gotten rich on the misery of the unemployed. Hooray! No, to hell with like her. the Salvation Army. And talking of jobs, you saw Scummo uh, in Question Time yesterday declaring, "If you're good at your job, you'll get a job." Brennan, uh, I, I have to say, um, the fact that I'm watching the Prime Minister, uh, that Scott Morrison is the Prime Minister, seems to undercut that message that jobs come on the basis of merit. Yeah, very <laughs> much. Well, that's true of so many world leaders at the moment. Uh, the amount of times where, like, why do you want this job in the last few years when I've been applying for jobs and I've responded, well, if Donald Trump can be president, I thought I could apply for this. Yeah. Mm. But it's just shocking when you consider the number of applications you get for open jobs these days. It's Ugh. very insulting to the people who are unemployed, to the people who are good at their job and can't find work. It is really mm. insulting to the number of people who are applying for each job to say, well, if you're good at your job, you'll get a job. It's also a complete yeah. fudge of the complete disconnect between wages and productivity over the last 30 years. <sighs> it's, a, it's an attempt to fudge that back to, well, those people mustn't, mustn't be working hard enough. They mustn't be good enough at their jobs. It's their well, own fault. If you're, if, yeah, if, you're in a position, if you're in a position of well-being, I mean, you see this with people who have relatively good health and how they treat people with chronic illnesses. Well, have you tried this? Have you done this? You hmm. clearly haven't done enough because I'm not sick. It's just a mindset. It's, unfor- it's an unfortunate side effect have of the human yoga? condition. And if a person... <laughs> What's a defense and if a person has never really known desperate, I think it's two things. I think it's both empathy, and because if you haven't experienced yeah. something, you might you, you, mm. it's, people, particularly conservatives, don't seem to understand how bad something is until it happens to them. But I think secondly, it's a defense mechanism. Oh, yeah. Because if you can say that the person who's got thing, the bad thing is happening to them, it's their fault for some reason. Mm. then you can convince yourself that it won't happen to you. I'm not bad in that way that I'm arbitrarily saying is the cause of their misfortune. Therefore, that misfortune won't befall me. Mm. It's a way of reassuring yourself that you're immune from the suffering. But that's okay because National Cabinet this week, or whenever it is, is going to go brilliantly. The rescheduled National Cabinet. Why? Gladys Berejiklian's demanding that Queensland and Western Australia pay her back for their portion of the uh, New South Wales hotel bills because they're taking all the international arrivals for when the other states cut them off. So she wants $35 million from Queensland and about $8 million from Western Australia. Well, to be fair, Gladys definitely has the political capital at the moment to get away with that. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd love to see Dan try the same thing because we've been we've been covering for other states. Yeah, we, we, we've been sacrificing our economy for the state, also for the sake of um, keeping the virus in check and yeah. not having it spread to the other states. So, yeah. a bit of bit of contributions there would be nice. Uh, and this is probably mm. a good place to wind wind that up for a week. Uh, Brandon, where can people find you on the tubes? Uh, I am on Twitter at uh, Brandon underscore Selleck. Uh, 
and that's pretty much it i do have a facebook page for my for my political leanings which you can find if you search i won't uh, endorse the party here for obvious reasons but yeah you can find me easily enough and where can people find you i am dean c on twitter at dean z uh s-e-y and um and we're at well may we say uh on the twitters if you've got anything you would like to any responses to anything that we've been discussing or you'd um, like to offer what we didn't have this week which is the the political agony art the situations where you've got a friend or a colleague a relative you've got a, a political uh, social situation that you, you would like some assistance in uh, perhaps finding the the the, the bon mot the, the the retort that or the the approach that might assist the most uh Bonmo. I can't believe you actually used Bonmo conversationally. That's fantastic. We would uh, well love, love, love. I was trying to find a way of um, popping Les Bridgesco yeah, in there too, but I, uh, but it didn't quite. It didn't quite fit because we're not talking about you know as you leave the room following the discussion with them shouting something back over your shoulder. Anyway, <clears throat> at well maybe we say for any of those. I want to thank you all of our Patreon subscribers for keeping the podcast going. Thank you uh, very much. As I said, as it keeps going. Um, thank you to everybody who's left a positive re- review on the iTunes. Thank you to Robin Gray for the music and Alex Lum for the artwork. And we will see you all hopefully next week. See you, see then. you then. Bye. Goodbye.